Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on tonight's episode, we are going to be discussing a couple of movies that uh, I had screeners uh, sent to me to do reviews of, and it'll be one documentary and two horror films. Uh, So the films I'll be discussing tonight will be Rocking the Couch, which is a documentary uh, kind of charting the history or uh, more like the frequency of sexual harassment and sexual assault um, in Hollywood prior to and up to the Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby incidents. Um, And then we'll be talking about uh, a horror film called Bloodcraft and another horror film kind of more of a thriller called Room for Rent. Now like I said before, uh, these movies were sent to me uh, as screeners, so you know kind of advanced reviews uh, or advanced advanced views uh, of these films to kind of talk about their before their release. Although I do know that the Rocking the Couch documentary is actually I believe available on Amazon Prime. So if you're interested in that subject uh, and my review, you know you can go out there and, and check that uh, out for free on Prime. As for the other two, I believe Room for Rent releases in uh, May, I want to say, May 5th maybe, and um, Bloodcraft is coming out here uh, in April. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about these movies. Um, just to get some, you know, work out of the way. Um, currently, we're still on SoundCloud uh, only, but I'm still, you know, working on getting iTunes. I think I may need just to, to try it again here and see if uh, iTunes will accept the the podcast. And uh, so we should be good to go on there um, in, in the near future. So. Um, Get ready to, to look for us on there. Um, also, as you may know, that um, this is kind of going to be a, a double book week uh, or double episode week because I did not get one out this past week. Uh, work kind of got in the way of that, and um, it kind of prevented me from being able to record an episode. I was going to do a solo episode for Butterfly Kisses. But uh, I was having some recording issues, and uh, I was just really exhausted and stressed out from work. So, you know, I don't want to turn out content that is not 100% um, for you guys. So, uh, and as you also may know, depending on when I decide to release these, if I release this one first or release the other episode uh, first, there is a... uh, kind of roundtable discussion between myself, uh, Crystal from the Horror Nights End podcast, and my buddy Cortland, who will eventually be on here as a as a co-host from uh, time to time. So that will be his first episode appearance. And um, you can follow um, Crystal and her podcast at Horror Daddies Are Us on uh, Twitter, and you can look for her in iTunes and SoundCloud uh, for the Horror Nights End. And uh, I believe Cortland's 
Twitter handle is at Portland, uh, L-A-W-N-D, if I have that correct. It will be in the show notes, so you guys will be able to, you know, find their Twitter handles with no issue. And uh, check them out. You know, Portland I've known for a while, and as you guys already know, I've known Crystal, and she's been a huge help on me getting the show started. Um, you know, we're still in early days, so it's we're growing. You know, we're getting some good listens, and uh, I appreciate every single person that's been listening to uh, these first few episodes and and uh you know enjoying it and and talking about it so um i also want to remind if you want to send in any questions uh or or any topics you might want discussed on the show you can send me an email at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com and i'll review them and uh we can bring them up on, on an episode um i might even put out a question before we record uh the us episode um to see if there's any things that uh, you guys, the audience out there, uh, wants to uh, wants to discuss or wants us to, to talk about. So, um, really excited for that episode, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing more content. We were supposed to have another person with us, but they, uh, Pat from the previous episode, uh, was not able to get out to see uh, us uh, in time for us uh, for recording. I also do want to let you guys know that I will have a review um, out for Shazam. Uh, I did get a chance to see an advanced screening for that, um, which was part of the reason why I kind of ran out of time for recording an episode last week, so apologies, guys. Uh, I do love movies, and when I get a chance to see a movie I really want to see early, I'm going to take it. Um, so look forward to uh, to having Pat on that episode with me. We both got to see it that that Saturday, and uh, you know, a little spoiler alert: we we really enjoyed it. We thought it was really good. Uh, but look forward to us discussing that film um, in total in the coming weeks. But all right, I think that's enough uh, on the the work side of things. Again, you know, I'm still working on on getting things up to a hundred percent. But I appreciate everybody sticking with me and. Uh, listening to the show so with that said we're going to talk about uh, a documentary uh, that was made in 2018 uh, it's called rocking the couch and uh, it is directed by men collins if i'm saying that uh, first name correctly and um, you know this uh, it, the basic uh, synopsis is you know hollywood titans harvey weinstein and bill cosby have been brought to their knees by the hashtag me too movement the term casting couch has existed for decades in Hollywood, but in 1992, a case against talent agent Wallace Key was brought to court by 12 unknown actresses who braved the loss of their careers, pri privacy, and Hollywood dreams. Against all odds, they won, and no one listened until now. And, you know, this is a very per pervasive topic in the industry right now, out in Los Angeles and in Hollywood. Um, and... I think it's very uh, ambitious for uh, me, men. Um, I might just refer to Collins. Uh, it'd be easier for me that way, and that way I'm not mispronouncing your name. Um, it's a very ambitious uh, subject to tackle. Uh, you know, it was. It's really funny that it seems that people were in the know in Hollywood. I mean, I think we all have. Uh, an assumption that some of these illicit backroom dealings go on. Um, 
not in all cases, but in some cases. I mean, I think there's always been speculation in in Hollywood. I mean, I was a uh, a theater kid in high school, and uh, my first major when I was in college was in, in the theater program. And there was always speculations when certain people got casted for certain roles, whether or not they actually earned that role or they did something for that role. Now, that doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse anyone taking advantage of anybody. But I think, uh, you know, this is, is something that I think the hashtag MeToo movement uh, has brought to the forefront more. Uh, you know, I never really heard of the Wallace Key incident and uh, this documentary kind of goes more into detail uh, discussing the events that led to the uh, arrest and the, and the trial for Key, but it doesn't primarily focus on that. It, it, it talks kind of about the history of the casting couch um, in Hollywood and where, where the term came from and um, you have some interviews with some actresses from they were actresses in the in the late 70s early 80s maybe even into the 90s who had personal dealings with Wallace Key and uh, and also maybe some interactions with some others now one interview I found very interesting was with uh, Robert Meacham's uh, granddaughter and she brings up during the interview that um, she was in a discussion with a family member of Jack Nicholson, a female family member of Jack Nicholson, and and that that female family member uh, mentioned to her that no um, director or no producer would uh, mess with her because uh, they wouldn't mess with Jack Nicholson, and I find that very interesting and very intriguing, um, and. It kind of goes to, to show, you know, who do you know, and, uh, you know, are they able to protect you, can they protect you, uh, you know, Robert Meacham's granddaughter basically says that, um, you know, no one would mess with her either because of, of her grandfather, and, um, you know, I just find that very interesting, and, um, Kind of telling about some of these older male actors that knew these behaviors were going on and would you know actively or, or passively uh, prevent anything from happening to female members of their family uh, who were looking at getting into the industry so that was a really interesting part uh, of the documentary now I, overall, I liked the documentary. I thought it was very intriguing, very interesting. But what the documentary, in my opinion, um, fails to do is to discuss the current issues. Now, the problem with that, or, or the conundrum that, that uh, Collins faces if they wanted to tackle that issue, is that it's, it's too soon. Um, you know, they're... Weinstein is, uh, I believe, still going through the process of a trial. Uh, you know, Bill Cosby uh, just recently had his his verdict, and um, you know, Kevin Spacey is going through his own uh, legal issues. So, 
you know, for these alleged assaults, and, and I only say alleged just to make sure no one comes at me, because um, I do believe that there is substantive uh, evidence um, that these events did occur and that people were abused. Um, I wish that the documentary would have been able to kind of go into more detail about the Weinstein case um, and even maybe talk a little bit more about about the Cosby incident. Although I, I've known and kind of followed the Cosby stuff um, when it was going on, I still don't know exact full details. I mean, I know about the drugging and, and, and stuff like that, but um, I would have liked if they could have interviewed some of some of the women um, that filed their complaints against Bill Cosby. Um, it would have been, I think, really interesting. But I, I can also tell, and, and this is again where the documentary lacks a little bit, is that um, they didn't quite have the budget to go probably as big as they wanted to. Um, I think that uh, they had a big ambition to cover the topic more in depth, but I think financial constraints, budgetary issues, uh, didn't allow them to go in scope as much as they wanted to. Uh, and, and this is only kind of evident with you know the certain backdrops that they have for certain uh, people that they interview. You know, it's like it's obvious green screen and stuff like that. Not that, uh, you know, most documentaries, you can't tell that as well. But uh, it, it just, I wish they had a bigger budget because I think that they they had a good uh, topic to, to, uh, to discuss and to dissect. And um, I just don't think that they had the capabilities to go as far as they wanted to. And in fact, uh, I do not know who the narrator was, but they needed to have a, a better narrator. The narrator is a little more monotone, um, and, and I understand a narrator is pretty much reading from a sequence, but there are a few sequences where there is text on the screen, and he's just reading it straight word for word, and it's just very monotone and groaning, and I just, uh, it, it kind of took me out of the documentary a little bit. Um, and I think another issue that the documentary has, and not so much an issue on, on the, the documentary, documentarian's uh, talent or skill, but I think it's a, it's, it puts light on the problem with waiting for people to speak out. Um, I think it kind of hurts some of the argument. Now, I believe that everyone that's in this documentary had an, uh, had an experience. Every female actress that is interviewed in, in this documentary definitely had some form of assault or harassment. So I want to preface that before I go into what I say, because it may sound like I don't believe these women. But it's primarily in the instance of, of the women that were uh, assaulted in uh, maybe the mid-80s. Uh, I can't quite remember exactly when those actresses say that they were, they were assaulted. But there are details that 
are fuzzy to them. And that's where, and this is a problem in in our regular, regular legal system. Um, witness recall in any type of case or any type of incident is very suspect. Um, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but it's, I know there's a set amount of time that if you were outside this window of time, the uh, recall of the events that just transpired begin to degrade. So it's an issue when, when uh, you wait 10, 20, 30 years before you come out and, and make the accusations or, or tell your story, your recall, although maybe for the, the key events are gonna be maybe 100% spot on, your recall for the other m more, I, I wanna say mundane, but that's not exactly what I mean, but the more maybe ancillary facts that can help back up your story kind of are, are now fraying to the edges. And, and what's really interesting was all, uh, there was one actress, uh, and her name is not coming to mind right now, but uh, you'll know if you watch the documentary. I, I, her recall is actually pretty good. Uh, I think she, she's the one who I think was in the strongest case for uh, Wallace Key uh, because, I mean, she talks about what she went in there for, what uh, Wallace Key was asking her to do in a back room, and then what he proceeded to do to her. It would, and then when another woman shows up asking for the same thing, and what she does to help protect that woman. It's a very compelling story, and she has very great recall. Um, but later in the documentary, we're introduced to another actress, and, and her experience was more within the past, I'd say past 10 years or so. And fortunately for her, <coughs> excuse me, fortunately for her, uh, her case wasn't, and again, I'm not degrading her experience, but her, her instance was not, I guess, as horrific as what some other women, even even the actress that uh, was assaulted by Wallace Key, uh, she talks about going in for an audition, and there are 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 gaps in her memory. She, there are things where she is stammering, trying to remember exactly what what it was she was doing or what it was she was saying, uh, or or you know where the events were transpiring. But again, I one hundred percent. 100% believe her story um, but I think that it sheds a little bit of light on the trouble of waiting so long to uh, come forward with your stories now in every instance I, I know that people are concerned for their careers uh, that they will get blacklisted that they will not be able to get any type of job after coming forward and in fact and I think the documentary does a really good job of showing kind of the hypocrisy of uh, the actors uh, union, uh, the SAG-AFTRA, um, and how they would kind of push aside these uh, these allegations if women were trying to report them right away. 
uh, it does a really good job kind of showing the, the problem there. Uh, and so overall, I, I, I was very fascinated by the documentary. I think they had um, good interviews with, with people who have had horrible experiences. I, I think that the, the documentary would have, like I said earlier, kind of benefited from a higher budget. I think also it would have benefited if we had had some, some bigger named actors or actresses uh, in the documentary. But I understand that the, the problem with, with that is primarily um, how are you going to get these people to come out and speak out against these, these uh, predators within in the industry when, one, their career will be at risk, and two, we're really only just now having this come to light, and who knows how many people have been assaulted, how many people have been mistreated, and how many people are involved. Um, so I would really look forward, and I would urge the writer and director um, to keep on with this um subject to this material do a follow-up documentary in a couple years where when we have more information uh, about the Weinstein um, occurrences and, and they see the outcome of his trial and the outcome of Kevin Spacey's trial and a uh, quick side note here if you hear a little cat meowing that is my my little buddy Watson he's decided to jump up in my lap in the middle of recording so I apologize but you know he he wants to be a part of the show apparently um, getting back to the topic at hand, uh, I I would recommend this documentary, especially if you can stream it on on Amazon Prime. Uh, again, it's called Rocking the Couch. Um, it's not super long. I think it's like maybe an hour and fifteen minutes or an hour and twenty minutes. Um, so I mean, you're you're not gonna have to invest a whole lot of time. But the the subject matter is very interesting very intriguing um you know i remember being devastated when the the harvey weinstein news came out um i also you know obviously think he's a very despicable man but once once the weinstein stuff came out um if anyone in in the listener audience is familiar with uh, screen junkies and, and honest trailers um you know they had their own me too thing with Andy Signora, the uh, kind of co-creator of Screen Junkies and the creator of Honest Trailers, where you know there was evidence of him acting very inappropriate with people that were uh, contractors on on, uh, on the show and uh, fe young female fans of, of the YouTube channel and uh, their content. And I just remember being absolutely devastated because these were people I looked up to, people that I, I wanted to maybe uh, be one day. And it's despicable. It's despicable that anybody would treat another human being, male, female, or what have you, in, in this, this manner, in this way. I, it's just sickening. And I'm really glad that people are being held accountable for these actions but we also have to be carry be um, wary of false allegations as you have as if you're aware of the amber heard johnny depp incident where you know 
Johnny Depp was basically being lumped in with Weinstein and Cosby and Spacey in the sense of what, you know, abusing his ex-wife Amber Heard and that he would hit her and stuff. And then we come to find out, uh, you know, during the the uh, documentation, during the legal battle, that it was actually the inverse. Amber Heard was the one that was assaulting Johnny Depp. And in fact, uh, in an incident, had... Um, almost completely severed one of his fingers i mean so we we have to look at each story we have to look at each incident and we have to investigate and we have to look at all sides of the evidence um there's a a, a good point that's made in a documentary where where one uh, woman is talking about how her husband is a casting director and for fear of any type of false allegations or allegations of misconduct or abuse he always has an assistant in the room with him uh, when they audition a young actress or even an actor but that can have its own problems because if you're you and your assistant are horrible people and you mistreat an actor or actress you've got someone that's kind of backing you up that will say anything you want to say not saying that that's what's happening in that instance of, uh you know from the documentary but people where they can take an inch they will take a mile so um i i i highly recommend this uh on my my rating scale i'm going to give it a a four out of five i i thought it was very compelling it needs a little polish um and it needs more budget and and i would hope that this documentary allows the filmmaker to um receive a project with, with more money to be able to kind of investigate this uh subject matter in more depth and more detail because i'm telling you this this stuff needs to be out there these and the people that have perpetrated these acts need to be brought to justice so Again, that is Rocking the Couch, and I highly recommend it. All right, so on a lighter note, um, I kind of wanted to get the, the heavier stuff out of the way first before moving on into the more lighter, uh, if you want to call horror films, uh, lighter subject material. Um, the first of the horror films uh, that I was given... Uh, an early uh, screen or two that I want to discuss is uh, Bloodcraft. And Bloodcraft is a release coming up here on April 9th. It is um, directed by James Colin Bresick and written by James Colin Bresick and um, also by one of the uh, stars of the movie, Madeline Wade. Actually, Madeline Wade wrote the actual story and James uh bresick uh wrote the screenplay and i believe james bresick i am familiar with um let's see, i'm looking on imdb right now <sighs> must be that i've seen him only on twitter but he's done a few other horror oh you know he was a producer on circus kane which i absolutely loved if you haven't seen that movie go check it out on amazon um but i i, I think i have seen him at least on on uh, twitter but um this is uh, the, the synopsis of the film is two sisters who suffered abuse as children at the hands of their sadistic father decide after his death to use witchcraft to bring his spirit 
to get back to get revenge. And what's really interesting about this movie is it kind of reminds me of a uh, independent horror film called Low, L-O. And if you're unfamiliar with what Low is, Low is a very small budget, almost like a, a, a play in the sense of this is something that could be done by a high school where a man uh, summons a demon while searching for his uh, his love. It's been a while since I've seen this. I, I know I don't have all the details exactly right, but but just the fact of kind of having to uh, to summon a a spirit to kind of help solve a mystery or or to get information. Uh, this this Bloodcraft movie really. Um, uh, reminds me a little bit of that. Now, it's not exactly like that, but just kind of the basic premise of what the sisters are trying to do. And um, it's really interesting because the way that the film opens up, it doesn't quite give you an idea of what you're going to be getting for the rest of the movie because it, it opens up on a, on a preacher. And if you can think of probably the most horrible thing that ultra-super-religious and this isn't to disparage anyone that's religious, but but think crazy religious, not not rational religion, but those people that are kind of extremists in their thinking, the type of people who will uh, uh, ground their children for reading Harry Potter because they believe it's witchcraft. Um, he's going on this rant, you know, about how you know homosexuality is a sin, and if you lay with with another man that you know you're going to burn in hell and and all this kind of hellfire brimstone damnation uh if you don't give to the church and and this isn't giving anything away but you see that he he collects all this money from from the um the congregation and he uh he basically steals it now he is he is a piece of shit uh, priest. I mean, he is not a good man. Definitely not living, um, living the faith, living the practice that that comes from the Bible, and, and trying to be a shepherd to a flock. Um, he's a real piece of shit. And it, when, if you watch the movie when it releases, you'll know what I'm talking about, especially later on in the film. And uh, you know, and then the film does kind kind of a time jump. Um, you're introduced to one of the sisters. Um, make sure I get her name right here, because there's there's the two of them, um, Grace, and then the younger sister is Serena, and Grace is kind of I guess she's a stripper. She's either a stripper or she's a, a sex worker. Um, it's really weird because she goes in and and does stuff, and then you have these kind of creepy, disgusting men, like, telling her, yeah, do this, yeah, like, uh, spread your, spread your ass cheeks, and, and all this kind of really crazy, weird stuff, um, you know, not my cup of tea, but, um, you know, after, after she, after that scene, she, uh, gets a phone call, that you know her father has passed away and, and later on you discover that the priest here at the beginning of the film is, is their father uh is the two girls father and so she is coming back home to kind of get the estate together and to kind of you know wash her hands clean of her father now 
as she as she arrives at the house, she finds her sister is there, and she hasn't seen her sister in in many years. That uh, their father lied to both of them, saying that Serena, the younger sister, had run off and uh, was never coming back. And so Grace then decides to just leave. There's nothing holding her to the house, and. Um, and Serena tells her, or Serena, yes, Serena tells Grace that, uh, well, it was because she had missed her period, and so their father kind of sent her away for a little bit, uh, presumably to get an abortion, um, and, um, so while she was gone, he lied to Grace saying that Serena had run off, and, and therefore separating the sisters, and before the sisters are reunited here in their adult years, you get a, um, a flashback sequence where they are, you know, maybe Grace is maybe 10 and Serena's maybe like six or seven. And they're out in the garden at the house with their mother, who is played by Dominic, Dominique Swain, um, who is fantastic. I, I've loved her since I saw her in Devour with Jan Jensen Ackles. And uh, she is probably my favorite uh, role she's been in is in Dead Mary which kind of is a film that you think is going to be about Bloody Mary but it's more like Evil Dead um, so when uh, I got the email for the screener and it said oh Dominic Swain I was like yep I'm in and also uh, Michael Welch and uh, Michael Welch I believe also might have been in Dead Mary I'm, I'm not 100% sure but he was also in uh, Z Nation and he's been in uh, the, like a uh, oh shoot the one the one film's um name is escaping me but you, you you've seen him you you'll know him when you see him in the movie so uh he's an actor i really like uh as well as with uh dominic swain that it was like yeah i'm gonna watch this movie i don't care if i like it or i dislike it i'm watching it because i like these two actors and so Dominique uh plays their their mother and their mother is kind of like from the old country i i, I can't quite place what her accent is supposed to be it's not bad i'm just not sure if it was supposed to be german uh and coming you know my family heritage is german so it might be that's why i'm picking it up but it sounds german to me but that she is um maybe not necessarily a witch because you know witch is the evil connotation she might be more wiccan she knows spells that might be considered evil she knows how to raise the dead she performs this trick with a with a um i believe a mouse when the girls are younger but um she at least passes those uh skills on to the the daughters and she makes a point about that the the daughters are strongest together and not when they're separated and so i think that that plays into the whole father lying to uh grace and then lying to Serena to separate them because he doesn't want them together. He doesn't want them to, to be strong together. And so there are some really good moments. There's a lot of good character development. Um, the film deals with uh, a lot of issues. And I'm going to say maybe mild spoiler alert, not that I'm going to go into anything in to do big detail, but if you uh, don't want any anything spoiled, uh, jump ahead about, I'll say two, two or three minutes uh, just to be safe. But 
Uh, so spoil a little spoiler alert. Um, their father uh, abused them when when they were younger, and he would make them do things to each other, and he would beat them. Now there's more that goes on with that, but I, I'm not going to go into that into detail. Um, I'd rather you watch the rest of the movie. Um, and so the, both of these uh, young women are deeply disturbed, have been traumatized, and they're both coming to terms with the death of their father. And, and since they know kind of the witchcraft that their mother had taught them, they decide that they're going to get kind of revenge. Now, that's not like real revenge that they can get on, on their father, but that they uh, can take out all their anger, all their hatred, all their uh, pent-up feelings that they had, uh, you know, from their childhood and be able to take it out on the soul of their father to make him pay for what they, for what he did to them and what they went through. And so... I think it deals with some really interesting themes with with that with that aspect of the abuse, and um, and with grief and with coming to terms and uh, with uh, closure. You know, ultimately this film is about closure, and, and also about um, not being a victim ever again. So, uh, kudos to to. Um, going to forget her name again. Uh, I want to give her adequate credit. Uh, Madeline Wade uh, for coming up with the story. I think she does a really good job with it. Now, where there are two particular scenes that one I didn't think was really needed. Uh, I think it was more more to kind of attract a male audience. Uh, it, it, it wasn't needed. I mean, it's explained uh, well. So, I mean, like, it's not out of line for the narrative. But it... it uh, for me personally, I just thought it was odd. I was like, I, this is weird. I do not need to be seeing this. I do not... I don't want this in... I, I just... I don't need this. Um, so, I, I, that, I thought, was a little unnecessary. And then there's a later scene, and I won't... Um, I won't go into detail with it, because... I, I'll give you a graphic warning. Uh, it is a very graphic scene. Um, it's very hard to sit through, especially if you're a woman. Um, you know, being a man, it was hard for me to watch, and it was hard for me to sit through. And all I can imagine is what a woman might feel watching this scene. Now, I understand it is to be a shock factor. It is to kind of convey how horrible the father was when he was alive um, and it also plays into a key factor in, in the film later on but I didn't need it I think they could have shown a little bit of it and then just gone on because um, it is told kind of by flashback I mean it's narrated by one of the characters but the film flashes back to the scene of the the uh, incident. I would have, as as soon as it started to show what what the scene shows, I probably would have just jumped back to the the face of the actress telling the story, um, because it it would have um, 
to me it would have left more to the imagination and i think that that's what that scene needed they could have even kind of maybe even overlaid it with more um with audio from the scene so that it leaves it to the imagination of the audience rather than lingering on the shot uh it's kind of the same issue i have with the very graphic scenes and and i spit on your grave um it's something that i understand the purpose of it it is it is to make you uncomfortable it is to kind of showcase the horrificness and yes this is a horror film but um it, it it just it went on a little too long for me so i would have maybe rather it it had that it would have left more to the audience imagination rather than showing you right away uh, for the span of maybe three minutes this particular scene because it hurts i mean it, it is a it is a scene that hurts to watch but um i again i understand the point of it and, and it it succeeded in its purpose it it, it it horrified me and um i mean it's probably the most horrific scene out of the entire film and and that's where the horror lies in with this film is it's not so much of jump scares or kills or graphic kills or anything like that but just the horrors of what uh, a horrible father put his daughters through while they were growing up uh, and uh, how that affected them as adults and how they're going to come to terms and um, there's a nice little little twist to to the film I, I don't want to give anything away but I had kind of expected it but at the same time when when the twist was revealed i was like oh okay that's really kind of cool really interesting really intriguing i like that um so the acting is is very well done the the except for maybe the the father he's a little over the top and i think that might have been the purpose but uh the actor who plays him kind of maybe takes it a, a little too far especially in the the opening scene when he's doing his uh, little sermon to to the congregation of the church um so but the but the two sisters are fantastic and and uh madeline is is very believable because um, you're really kind of going on the journey through her eyes through her experiences because um she has blocked out a lot of the memories from childhood whereas serena still remembers everything vividly and uh, she is helping grace remember so that she can come to terms and closure uh with the things that their father did to them when they were little girls so i i really liked this movie even with the two scenes that i thought it could have done without or uh, maybe trimmed down a little bit i i really enjoyed it uh i i thought it dealt with great like i've said before it dealt with really great themes i like anything that deals with with the themes of of uh grief guilt closure mourning um especially when they're done well and i think this was done exceptionally well um i mean I don't know what the budget was, but uh, with I, I'm sure that since it's primarily takes place in a house, that there's not a whole lot of uh, external shots or shots out like in cities or 
or anything like that. A lot of it's all interior shots. Um, they they did a really good job with it. I mean, there it's all the effects are pretty much practical, uh, and they all work. I mean, there wasn't much that I saw that I didn't like believe within the film, and again, like it's a strong character piece, a strong character work, and I think the strength of Madeline's story and with the the direction of James, I, I think that they they did something really cool and unique here and I look forward to hearing what you guys think about it when it releases now I don't think it's going to be necessarily a theatrical release or if it is a theatrical it's probably going to be a limited number of theaters but I'm sure it'll be on video on demand eventually it'll probably be on the Amazon Prime or Netflix um, so if you if you see it I, I'd say check it out I mean I I was not sure what I was going to get from it. Um, I didn't even before. Uh, I didn't even know what the film was about when I, I did the screener. I, all I saw was, "Hey, new movie starring Dominic Swain and Michael Welch," and I was like, "I'm in." Don't need to watch a trailer. Don't need to know what the premise of the movie is. Um, and I think that that uh, it was a nice surprise. Like, I mean, not going into it not having that information uh i think i don't know if it necessarily helped with my viewing of it but I, but it certainly um not knowing anything about the story i i think i was able to dive into the story and to grasp the story uh well and and to just kind of get enveloped by it and um so as for my my review score i'm gonna give it a four out of five um I think my major detractors were those two scenes. I, I kind of hate to say that that gets a whole point off. I mean, if maybe one of the scenes was, like I said, trimmed down and the other scene wasn't out there, this would probably have a 4.5 out of 5. Um, it's very strong. Uh, and, you know, if Madeline keeps writing horror stories or, or other films um, with the strength that she wrote the story for this film, I am very excited for um, her her future projects i mean i'm blown away by this by this movie i you know you never know what you're going to get when you're uh, getting screeners and quite honestly these are my first experiences with with screener copies and and i thank you um to the people who have sent them to me i mean i've got a whole backload now uh of of movies to watch so don't be surprised if if there's going to be some kind of special episodes where i i talk about movies i got screeners i know uh i'm going to have one next week uh for its release uh for i believe it's called division 19 that i'm very intrigued to be watching um and with that one i had an inter uh, opportunity to interview the director but uh, i just wouldn't be able to fit it in my schedule and get it in in time and do a good job with it and um so i uh I highly recommend Bloodcraft. Uh, it's coming out again on April 9th. Um, I think you guys will like it. Let me know what you think. Send me, like I said earlier, send me an email at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com if you've gotten a chance to see the movie and let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, I'd love to kind of share them on the show or uh, if you're just intrigued, uh, you know, to check these, these movies out. Um, you can't go wrong with this one. I mean... Some people might find it slow. Some people might not be as interested in it. But I'm telling you, and, and that's perfect. Might be perfectly valid. But 
I was very impressed. I was very impressed, and I hope you guys are too. Um, so that's going to be it for my review of Bloodcraft. Again, that releases on April 9th. Um, all right, so now we're going to move into the final one um, to talk about tonight. And this one, I, I believe, is coming out here in May. Uh, and just knowing, again, this was something where in, in the email I got to uh, see if I'd be interested in reviewing it, um, Lynn Shea was, uh, is, is the leading actress in this movie. And if you're not familiar with Lynn Shea, then shame on you, especially if you're a horror fan. If you're not a horror fan, I can understand why you wouldn't know her. But, I mean, you've got her in the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. She's the teacher. She's, uh, she was in Dead End. She's in the Insidious movies. Um, a very strong female horror actress. Uh, also, the, uh, I believe the sister of Bob Shea, the former head of New Line Cinema. Um, so this movie is set to come out uh, on May 7th. I assume that this will possibly be a limited release uh, as well, or a, um, or a uh, video on demand uh, release. But uh, this is directed by Tommy Stovall and written by Stuart Flack. And the premise for this movie is a lonely widow, Joyce, rents out a room in her house and becomes dangerously obsessed with one of her guests. And that's basically all you really need to know about the movie uh, for, for the premise. I'm not going to go into too much detail as um, I think you need to just view this movie and, and let it unfold for you. Um, because Lynn Shea does uh, such a great job in the in the main actress role. Um, I mean, there are there are certain questions that are raised by the end of the movie, and and I will say that the end of the movie really wants you to know what's going to happen next. It ends on a cliffhanger, which I find to be very interesting. It doesn't fully resolve the narrative. Um, which some people might like and some people might dislike. I, I'm in the camp that I actually kind of liked it because it makes me want them to make a sequel to this. Um, so you have uh, Joyce, and she is an older lady, and her husband just suddenly passes away. And as she's coming to terms with his passing, she finds that uh, their financial situation wasn't the greatest. I believe that in their like checking or savings account, there was like only two hundred dollars left, and that's not going to last anyone. And, and I can't exactly remember where this takes place. I want to say it takes place out in California, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So don't quote me on that. But if it is California, California is a very expensive place to live. It just is. That's the the facts of life. And so two hundred like $25 or $250 is not going to last you a long time at all uh, in that state. So, and in most states, in fact, I mean, so she decides to supplement her income by, uh, and I thought this was a particular funny scene, 
this isn't spoiling anything, but she's in a, uh, I believe in a library. She keeps checking out a particular book, I, I believe, or she at least is checking out a book. And she's walking by and uh, she sees a magazine. And on the magazine, uh, it says something about B&Bs. And, she, and she's looking at it and she's going, what's a Binaba? What's a Binaba? And uh, she goes home gets on the computer and does a Google search and discovers, oh, it's not Benaba, it's bed and breakfast. And I thought that was, uh, it's kind of humorous, kind of charming, kind of cute, because I think we've all had um, an older family member, grandma, grandpa, who just didn't quite get um, modern terminology in a sense. And, and so you see them kind of looking at you quizzically and going like what what does that mean or them having to do some type of internet search to kind of discover what you meant by that so it was it was kind of endearing and it and that and that's the point of the beginning of the film is it's to endear you to joyce um but as the story progresses because she gets her first guess and things don't go quite as smoothly with with the first guess the the husband's uh bit of an ass and that's an understatement. Um, and the wife, uh, I believe wife, I don't believe they were, I, I do believe they were married, but um, it kind of gets a little muddy later on in the film what happens there. But, I mean, it, it, it does get explained, so you're not confused, but it, it is still a little muddy on, on the exact relationship status near, near at the middle of the movie. But, uh, you know, even even the uh, Sarah, the the young wife um is kind of iffy about joyce you know because joyce is just doing this for the first time she doesn't know exactly what she's doing she doesn't know what's expected of her or or what she needs to do and um joyce and sarah kind of kind of connect um they go for a walk and and they kind of get to know each other uh joyce lets sarah kind of vent out about her relationship issues with her uh, husband or at least i believe it's her husband and uh they kind of become friends and they they when they get back to the house from their walk you know the husband's like oh sorry got a hotel we're leaving here keep the money and uh so sarah tells joyce to stay in touch and and they do and uh it's kind of a cute budding friendship but then things start to change when she gets her second tenant Joyce starts to really kind of become obsessed and it's a young man I'd say maybe in his early 30s late 20s named Bob and and that kind of gets where the the weak part of, of the film is is Bob's character is not explained enough or at least it wasn't explained enough for me um, there there are hints of things that are going on with his character but uh, nothing that's kind of like fully explain or at least that that i saw i may have missed some things um and she kind of gets oddly obsessed with 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 bob and and that's where things start taking taking a turn and um and i think that's about all i'm going to go into uh, on the story um know that this is more of a thriller than a horror if you've seen the poster um you might think that this is maybe more of a like a haunting or a ghost story it, it, it is not it is a pure thriller uh almost hitchcockian in, in a sense um especially with 
you know, Joyce is, is almost very much kind of a Norman Bates. Not not in the uh, spoiler alert if you've never seen Psycho. Not in that the he acts he becomes his mother and and the mother murders, but just this the personality the personality that uh, she's she's a little unhinged. She's a nice person, but all the screws aren't tight. Um, so uh, I I don't want to go too into depth and in, in the story on this, especially since it hasn't released yet. It's still got another month um, until it comes out. It's very strong. And, and again, this is a movie that's held together by the acting. I think if the acting wasn't superb uh, amongst the three main cast members, uh, I don't think this film would necessarily succeed because it, it is a little slow. But it, it's purposeful. It is meant to be that slow. In fact, when I got to the end, I was like, wait a minute. This movie was slow, but I'm already at the end. Like, I, I don't understand how I got to the Terminus before I even realized I, I had departed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not, not heavy on gore, but the... The... The concept of it, the the way, the execution of it, and again, the magnificent performance by Lin Shay. I, I, there's probably not a movie I, I wouldn't watch her in, especially a horror film. She always has this gravitas, and um, if you've not seen Dead End, I mean, just, just a scene where there's something going on with her head, and how she plays that character in, in that film it, it is just magnificent I mean she's very talented and I love that she's kind of become a, a staple of horror and um, I look forward to seeing her other in other works I mean she's just she's just so fantastic and she's just so great to watch on the screen so I uh, I would have to give this a, a 4.5 out of 5 um, I think there's a lot of things that work on it. It got, does get a little bit slow, but like I said, it, it's purposeful. It is meant to be a slow burn. That's why it's more of a thriller than a straight-up horror film, because it it, um, it has to take these, these ways. It has to take these steps so that the full effect uh, of the film really uh, grabs you and compels you and surprises you and um, like I said it's very Hitchcockian and it's every frame and every scene is important and um, like I said it, it, it ends on a cliffhanger and it's like I want to know what's going to happen next um, and I don't know if I necessarily want a sequel per se, um, but I I just think that the writer and the director just did a magnificent job, and I'm very happy I got to got to see an early screening of it, and um, I look forward to, to seeing more. Um, you know I, I I know I've said it a lot already in, in this uh, in this episode, but you know when when filmmakers and I mean, these are not high-budget films. All, all three of these films were, were not high-budget films. But
but I would see their movies in a heartbeat than some big budget films. I mean, that's why I want to support indie horror so much is although you get a bunch of bad, you get gems like uh, Bloodcraft and Room for Rent where they don't have the budget per se, but they have they have the want, they have the drive, they want to make a good film. And I think in, in both of these cases, and even in the case of the documentary, they made very compelling films and very compelling narratives, and they executed them almost superbly. And I know everyone's not necessarily going to agree with me on that, it's because I think indie horror for some people is a you know redheaded stepchild in, in some aspects, but I, you know movies like uh, Bloody Murder and Bloody Murder to uh, Camp's Closing or something like that, or Open Graves. Um, uh, oh shoot! What's the other one? Um, no, it's it's escaping me right now. Uh, but you know, uh, I uh, Edge of Darkness. That might be it. Um, even the really bad uh, Day of the Dead uh, remake, directed by Steve Miner with Bing Rains and uh, Mina Suvari. They're not. Those, they may not be necessarily great, but there's enough charm about them that one can enjoy it. And, I mean, with the 80s, we have that a lot with, with films like uh, Larry Cohen's uh, The Stuffed, um, God Rest His Soul. And uh, I believe that was his. Now, don't come at me if, I, if I'm uh, incorrect on that. But, um, you know, when, when these filmmakers at least pour their hearts into these projects uh, they they do such a wonderful job and in fact I'm, I'm, I'm going to lie to you guys I'm going to talk about one more other film um, because it, it just actually popped in my head and since I'm talking about indie horror uh, I figure it's going to be uh, you know a nice little uh, ending thing to talk about uh, just support indie horror even if you don't like it I mean there are, there are good things to talk about it and that's that's why you know the premise of this this podcast is you can still be critical of a film but you can still enjoy it you can still talk about the things of it that work for you and and the things that don't work for you but i i just i think we're at a point now where we become so hypercritical of things and we lose kind of the enjoyment aspect and if I ever lose enjoyment for film, I, I don't know what I'd do with myself. Uh, I, I love film too much. So um, let's get off my little soapbox there about uh, you know supporting indie horror. And, and talk about another independent horror film, um, an independent found footage horror film called Unlisted Owner. And this is currently on uh, Amazon Prime uh, streaming. You can watch it for free on there. And this is, this is kind of the case that, that I was just making there in that kind of spiel. Uh, this is a found footage film where you have a, a family that had just moved into a house uh, are immediately murdered um, by who knows what or who knows who. And then you have a group of friends who are going to be camping and uh, they are informed of it and since the house is kind of on the way to the campsite they decide to kind of stop off and watch you know as the, the the cops are cleaning up the crime scene and everything and they kind of speculate oh 
you know, who could have done this, and, and oh, maybe it was this kind of legend, it's not really a legend, but a story from 15 years ago, it could have been this guy who had murdered his family in the same house, and they never caught him, they never found his body, uh, that maybe he was the person who killed his family, and, um, and, and later in the night, as two of the friends are super drunk, they decide that they're going to go uh, check out the house and, and kind of look at, uh, you know, what what the inside of the house looks like after the aftermath of, of the cleanup and after the murders. And I, I, I like and I dislike this film at the same time. I think it's impressive. Um, very low budget, but it's impressive in what they do with that low budget. Um, some of the actors are good, and some of the actors aren't good. There's a lot of kind of flat acting by some of some of the male actors and, and some of the female actresses. Um, that it's like, yeah, you can tell they're kind of just they're they're remembering they're remembering their lines from the script, but they're not putting any character or any inflection into the lines. Uh, and it, the film is a little bit too short so when it starts to really kind of kick in the fourth gear and get really intriguing it's over and a lot of found footage films do that and some do it better than others um, I might get crap for this but I personally I love the gallows is it the best found footage film absolutely not but I think I have this thing where I like films that kind of take place in schools. Um, always because I kind of had an idea of like writing a horror story or a horror movie that took place in a high school. But I, I like movies, uh, horror films that can take place within a school. Um, but, you know, when it gets into its third act, it, it ramps it up. And I mean, and it, and it does it with a beautiful execution. Now it kind of has a problematic little end scene about well, if this is the daughter of so-and-so, wouldn't she be actually this old and not that old? Uh, yeah, that kind of causes some issues with, with the narrative, but um, overall, I mean, I still thought that it had a great execution in its third act. Um, other films like Unfriended and Unfriended Dark Web have great third acts where they ramp it up, whereas uh, Unlisted Owner, it gets really interesting, and then it's done. And there are plot points that they kind of set up that they don't kind of fulfill on. But with that said, I'd watch it again. I mean, it's it's fun. There's a good time with it. It's interesting. Uh, even though some of the actors are very unlikable in their roles, I think that's their, their intent. There's two of them are supposed to be kind of, not dude bros, but kind of jock jerks and... Uh, and I guess maybe that's another kind of ill-defined thing that I, I have a little bit of problem with the writing. I have a feeling that a lot of this was, was improvised, which there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think especially in found footage, it's kind of more of the way to go because you want the the experience, you want the um, dialogue to be more organic. Um, but you don't quite get an idea of how old the, the, the group of, of uh, friends are. I would say they're college age. Um, we don't really know why they're camping. There are comments made about one kid, one of the kids being coming from like kind of a rich family and, and, and stuff like that. That it doesn't really do anything. They don't build on it. They don't talk about it. Um, 
there is some really good filmmaking techniques in this in this uh, found footage. In fact, there's one particular uh, scene, and this isn't really spoilers, but you know, sorry if it is, if you consider it a spoiler. But there's a scene where you have a, a dash cam from a cop car, or at least a camera in a cop car. When you think about it, if it's, well, I guess if it were, were a dash cam, it would work this way. I don't know. I've never really been in a cop car, so knock on wood on that one. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the cop uh, parks in front of the house, and the lid on his coffee kind or pop pops off and kind of spills all over his shirt. So he turns on his his uh, dome light, so you can see his reflection within the reflection of the windshield. And he's kind of got his head down and he's wiping. But since the camera's focused on the house, you see the killer coming out. And I do appreciate this too. You never see the killer's face. You only see basically from maybe the chest down and his hands and the sickle he carries. And you see him come walking out. And the cop is so busy dealing with the, the drink that uh, as the killer walks walks up walks right next to the door opens up the door it isn't until the door is open that the cop realizes he's there and then the cop is nixed he's dead i i thought that was a very impressive and really effective shot so there are some real hints of some really good uh filmmaking techniques some really good shots uh even some decent story i would have liked some more explanation uh as to what who the killer was why he stayed at the house there almost is kind of a, an impression that this is maybe a ritualistic uh murders that he, he is doing there's kind of these symbols painted in blood that uh he he puts in through the house um and it has a real nice end too like i i kind of like the setup at the end but again this is another movie when it gets that third act uh it it, it it just it stops and it, it's although the end scene is good everything that happened up prior to that there's just not the payoff's not quite there uh especially with the police investigation there's an investigation into a, a friend that was kind of telling them the the legend of the house and it's just not fully explained so if they could remake this movie and again i keep saying this budget's the key and i understand it's hard it is expensive to make movies so i understand that you know getting that money to do what you have envisioned in your mind is very difficult i mean at least you have stuff like patreon and gofundme and indiegogo and kickstarter but that can't always get you all the money that like a big studio can and so i i I wish if they could get a decent budget to do the things that they fully wanted to do with this movie and, and maybe tighten up the writing, tighten up the characters. The character character development was really needed in this and instead we got kind of two dimensional characters and um, they didn't all work for me. And uh, I think, you know, fortunately Jed, the main character, he works the most. It's not the, you know, not the best, but he works the most uh, out of out of the cast of characters, and uh, and that's even saying there are some moments where I'm just like, man, you're kind of 
whiny, but at least I understood his motivations more. And so, uh, again, if they could remake it, if they got the budget, I would say, hey guys, remake this. I know, I can see what you want to do with this, and I'm excited with what you want to do with this. And I would love, with the proper financing and, and some uh, fine-tuning, to see what you truly had envisioned with this movie. Um, you know, uh, don't don't take my criticisms too hard because if I didn't feel like you guys had something there and I think you just need to refine it a little bit more, I wouldn't be talking about it. I wouldn't even be, you know, praising the, the parts of it that I did like. Um, I, I'm very, very interested to see what you guys can achieve uh, moving forward. And... Um, and I'll watch it. I mean, even even if you can't get a big budget for your for your next movie, and you come up with about the same budget you had for this one, and and you want to release it, and you want to want people to talk about it, or want people to watch it, review it, even if not, even if I just come across it, I, I'm gonna watch it because I uh, one I just there's a lot that I don't not watch, um, especially when it comes to horror. It, it's it's kind of the genre that I can put up with the most with with uh, even bad horror films. Now I do I do have some standards, but Unlisted Owner definitely meets my standards. It, one, if you're found footage, I'm most likely going to watch you anyways, uh, regardless of whether or not you're you're good or bad. Uh, I just love found footage horror films, and I know that that's maybe an unpopular opinion amongst those in the horror community. I know some people have some very kind of set um, beliefs about the found footage genre. I really like it. Uh, again, like I think it kind of leads to this kind of organic realism, and it puts you within the shoes of of the character, so you're kind of experiencing these events with them, which is why they have their slow moments. So I know like a lot of people like the fault found footage movies for being slow, but that's a reason like you are you are the characters within the film so my review score for unlisted owner is going to be a three out of five um the kills happen off screen i would have liked to have seen some kills on camera but again i think it was that budget budget issue um so i can't fault them for getting ambitious and like wanting to make their movie and, and get it out there for people um maybe this could have benefited from maybe a little bit longer development time, getting some more financial backing if, if possible, uh, kind of maybe reviewing the script a little bit more, making sure it's a little bit stronger. But again, I still liked it. I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm going to keep enjoying films like these. So uh, I think that's uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, you know, sorry I added an extra review in there. Um, you know, if you guys get a chance and, and watch some of these movies, get a chance when they release, and, and you want to have your thoughts expressed on the podcast, send me an email. Tweet tweet me at critics, uh, NT Cynics. Um, you know, let me know what you think. I would love to, to kind of share your ideas and your thoughts uh, on the podcast. So uh, with that, um, I'm going to say... Uh, good evening, and uh, I look forward to you guys hearing 
uh, the discussion on us. I think we're gonna have a really good time talking about that movie, and uh, especially since uh, the film seems to be a little divisive. So, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to sitting down with Crystal and with Cortland and discussing uh, discussing the film and our thoughts on it and kind of our, our feelings and our interpretations. Um, we're gonna mostly go <clears throat> at least halfway through non-spoiler we're just going to kind of talk about the premise of the film our thoughts what we what we liked what we didn't like and then we're going to delve into spoilers and we're going to delve into some of the topics uh at hand about certain people not liking the movie others loving the movie people kind of being in the middle of the road uh i think some controversy about whether or not it's a or masterpiece or Jordan Peele is a horror legend or icon um, these are all kind of the topics and, and things that we're going to discuss on the show and I'm looking forward to it and I hope you guys are too and I will see you all then all right guys bye